In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Before we use our imagination to pray, before we enter into the Gospel to see the person of Jesus and to hear him and to respond to him in faith and in love, I think it's helpful to re recollect ourselves, to realize that prayer isn't easy, it's not automatic. And maybe right now, as you and I are seated here and we're quiet before our Lord, our Lord we feel a little restless. And in our minds, and perhaps even in our feelings, all sorts of things might be swirling around in our imagination. and Things that I still have to do, maybe a conversation that I was having 10 minutes ago, what I'm going to do this evening something that I'm dreading a little bit, a worry, an email or a text that I still need to get back to, something, a photo that someone sent me, some shopping that I need to get done, whatever it may be, all sorts of things can go through our minds and that can cause different feelings. And in, in the middle of all of that, what I'd just like for you and I both to do right now is to just notice it, to step back a little bit, and just let it swirl, just let those thoughts and let those feelings be there. And turn your attention to God who is present, who is looking at you with love, with interest, calling you by name, surrounding you and filling you with his love that transcends everything. It is above any power on earth and he's delighted with you and he loves you and if when you hear those words and if you try to think that thought and take it seriously you feel that you're not worthy of that that it's hard to accept then the effort of prayer even though you might have a reaction or a thought or something comes back is to simply accept it in faith. Lord, help me believe in your love. Help me to believe in your presence. And don't worry that you can't see anything. Don't worry that you perhaps don't feel much either. Because God is not a thing that we can touch or feel or point to. He's so much more. And in our time of prayer, and as I'm going to be continuing as we enter into the gospel, what's important is that your heart continues to be pointed at him. First, to receive. And second, to respond. That really is what prayer is about. Prayer is when you're wanting, your desire embraces 
the wanting and the desire of God. It's, it's that coming together. And this happens in a very hidden and perhaps sometimes unfelt way as long as we exercise our freedom and make an effort to step out of the whirlwind of our thoughts and our worries and our concerns, the things that feel so urgent. For the next 25 minutes, there's nothing more urgent than you and Him. Being with Him, talking with Him, reacting to Him, and doing that in trust and faith and abandonment. And that's it. That's all we have to do. But now we want to focus our imagination so that it helps to keep our heart and our will focused on Him. And we want to do that turning to the Gospel of St. Matthew, where he tells us that when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed. This scene of this Roman centurion, a man who was in charge of many, many Roman troops who were the occupying power of the time where Jesus was, a man who would have been despised by many of the people in Capernaum, they would have been suspicious of him, they would have looked badly at him, but this man comes to ask Jesus, a Jewish prophet, that's what the centurion would have thought, but beginning to have faith, he comes to ask Jesus for a miracle. And the first thing that I think is helpful for us in our prayer to notice is that the centurion asked for this favor. He's, the centurion is moved to exercise, to grow in faith, because of his concern for another person. Clearly, this servant and the whole system back in the time of Jesus where there was slavery and there was servitude and there was Rome, it was very much different than it is today. But clearly, this servant was not just someone who did the work around his house, but he was actually his friend. So much so that he cared about him. We'll come back to consider that point. But Right now, just this, this idea, very simple, but let's spend some time with it, is that his concern for this other person is what moves him to have greater faith. And this is very helpful for us to think and to pray about. Why do I want to grow closer to Christ? Why should I be trying to make an effort to pray better to make my Christian life something real and authentic, in other words, challenging myself to love God in a sincere way. 
to sacrifice and to give myself to others, to not just live for myself and my own pleasure. Why should I do that? You know, just think about what we said at the very beginning. Why make this effort to focus and immerse myself in God? And we might answer, well, because I know I think I should, because that's the way I was raised, because isn't that what we're supposed to do? Or, I don't know, maybe it just makes me feel better, those different kinds of reasons. But a much stronger reason, and a much more positive reason, is because of the love that I have for my friends and for my family. We may not think about it often enough, but think about it this way. One of the signs of authentic love for another person is that that love wants to make you become better. If you ever want to know, do I really love this person? Just ask yourself, does that person make me want to be better? Not more successful, not you know, earning more money, not a better achiever, but as a person, does, does that, is that love kind of almost compelling me to be a better person? And we think of, and I'm thinking here particularly of the love of friendship. Romantic love is true as well. And, you know, in a husband and wife or people who are very close and have a wonderful dating relationship, whatever the circumstance may be, it's another important question to ask. That love is authentic. It's, it's challenging me to, to be more generous, to sacrifice, to get better in a lot of different things. And we should think about our Christian life as well. I want to grow closer to Christ, not just because I'm trying to be shiny and happy and with a little halo myself, but because this person who's my friend, that person needs the joy and the peace that comes from being reconciled to God. The release of a good confession of knowing that that guilt and that those half lies and those justifications and excuses that I've been surrounding myself with, I, I've dealt with them in the sacrament of confession and that right now I am a child of God and I have nothing to fear. Not death, not life, not other people, nothing. To find in others' needs the reason for taking up my cross each day, for doing things that aren't easy, that aren't immediately pleasurable. You know? If we just think about, you know, you think about the, the, the effort to pray every day. One of the things that prevents us is we're busy. Or I don't feel like it. I'm tired. Or I've, you know, gets caught up with something else, or I lose track of time. Or, there are always things that's never, you know, it's never, I'm not going to pray because I hate God or because I want to be evil, or you know, there's never, those are never the reasons. It's just, it's not, doesn't, I don't feel like it. It's not pleasurable. But one of the things that can help us not be stuck in this, what is pleasurable to me, is that I care about this other person, and therefore I'm going to strive, I'm going to make that effort. And it's a very powerful, Christ-like motivation for Christian living, 
for, for not just settling with getting by, is I care about my friend, I care about my family, I care about the people that I love, and the greatest thing that I can give them is not my brilliant advice, not the fact that I'm very fun to be with. I mean, what, what, what is it that I can give them? I can give them example. I can give them the grace of prayer. I can give them the strength of my virtue and my sacrifice, my support. That's if I really care about that person. And that's what the centurion shows us. He's moved to go to out of his way, to, put it, to go out on a limb because he cares about his friend. Because this point about the centurion going out on a limb is real. He ran a risk asking Jesus what he did. Just think about that for a moment. In the scene, Jesus is there with a number of people, all of them Jews, all of them who resented the presence of the Romans. The centurion knew that. And don't forget the centurion was there as the head of a bunch of soldiers, which means they imposed Roman law with physical force. So people were afraid of him. And he had to keep this authority. And he had seen before, in, in the years before that he had been in Palestine, different sorts of Jewish prophets who came up. And a lot of the message of those Jewish prophets was, we need to get rid of the Romans. We need to throw them out because this is the way that the Messiah will come and this is how Yahweh will bless us. And they were very anti-Roman. So he could have been very much afraid that when he goes and asks Jesus for that favor, Jesus could have blown him off. You know, literally told him to go to hell. <laughs> you know, to get lost. Because he was a Roman. And had that happened, the humiliation, uh, the, the disgrace, all of those things would have happened. But the centurion, this, this good man, overcomes that fear. He runs that risk because of his concern for his friend. What about me? Just think about the last week, this past week. Can I look back at this past week and see a moment in which I've put myself out for someone else? If I were to go and interview my friends right now, would, would they be able to say, oh yeah, this is someone who actually goes out of their way for me. And when you texted me the other day, when you called me, when I needed to talk, you were there. The fact that I was praying for this person during this past week. And I was thinking about ways in which we could actually get together and meet them. What their interests are, what their concerns are. And if I look back in this past week and I realize, well, I was actually just more attentive to how often did you know, they contact me in the various social media platforms, whatever it may be, you know, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, whatever it may be, pick your poison, whatever it is that you use. You know, just did I get a new message? Is there something interesting? Did I send a cool photo? Did I like that? Maybe we were just more attentive to what I was receiving. If it was interesting, if it was entertaining, if it was the funny, the video or the photo that they sent. Rather than actively positive thinking, how is that person? What do they need? 
What could I do to build that person up? You know, the love that God has for you, the love that we began our prayer considering and that is carrying throughout all, carrying us throughout this time of prayer, that love is a love we need to give to others. Love of friendship. So if I look back and see that this past few days, this past week, that I've just been taking in but I haven't been giving, well, we can ask ourselves, well, how can I be more open and aware of others? You know, if you do notice that it's becoming kind of maybe characteristic and habitual that, you know, okay, I've got friends, I've got my family members, I have people I love and care about in my life, but I'm also just saturated with a lot of other things. I'm actually not paying that much attention to them. How can I change that? Here, I just, if you could just be patient, I'd just like to make a consideration. And the consideration is this. Think about the last time, and hopefully it wasn't too, too long ago. Think about the last time you went out into nature hiking. When I mean nature, I mean like really far away from like a city, like not in a park in the middle of the city, but like out in the middle of nowhere. No signs, no mobile coverage, you know, nothing. Right? Just maybe rocks and trees or a beach or up on a mountain somewhere. And what do you notice when you get out into a situation like that about the the trees and the, the mountains and the rocks and the sea, all the sounds, everything that you see, everything around you, what do you notice? Well, one thing that you can notice is that everything that you see in that natural world, everything that's out there, it's not about you. I mean, there's no, the rocks, when you walk by, don't turn around and say, hey, how are you? Would you want to pay attention to us? We're rocks. You know, there's no, there's no sign with your name on it. There's no advertising. There's no billboard that pops up and starts flashing a video at you when you're walking along on the mountain path. The ocean waves don't start transmitting images on the surface of the water. Because see, in our normal lives, with our devices and with our phone and with television, when we're in the city, we get used to the fact that the world is kind of always talking at me. It's sending me little advertisements. It's, I'm getting messages. I'm getting alerts. There's road signs. There's publicity. There's videos. There's all these messages talking at me. And what could happen without our realizing it is we can get this amazing sense of importance. I'm not talking about some sort of really horrible, evil thing of pride or anything, but just this experience that the world is always talking at me and my phone and the people. And, and so, you know, I'm kind of important. But I think one of the reasons why being out in nature can be so peaceful and actually so regenerating, even at a spiritual level, is because it puts us back in our place. The world isn't about me. It's not. And it's actually, you know, to be able to walk through a forest and the trees ignore you. The birds are kind of bothered by you. 
You know, it's not like the cartoons, you know, of Snow White where the birds come flitting up and they're on your shoulder and they start singing to you in your ear and they're all happy that you're there. They don't care. They're not interested in me. I'm not at the center of things. I'm a part of things. That I shouldn't have to have all of those concerns, those worries, that self-seriousness, that self-importance, that drama that can so often fill my attention in my life when I get used to feeling and thinking and acting as if I kind of was the center of things. Just to you make this more specific, you know, I said a moment, think back this past week, how you've been thinking about your friends. And isn't it the case that oftentimes when we think about our friends, we think about how our friends make us feel? How does she make me feel? How does he make me feel? What did she say to me? Why did she react that way? Why did he say that? It's all in reference to me. Not all, but a lot of the times. Whereas what we want to do as a result of focusing on him in prayer is start moving day by day and choice by choice to be more forgetful of ourselves, which is to recognize the real situation of things. I'm not the center of everything. And here, this is all, I just want to make this all a, a big uh, abstract consideration. Something very practical that we can try to do is just have moments in our day where on purpose, because we want to practice being less focused on ourselves, we turn off our digital devices. Now, this isn't some sort of cranky argument against technology. I love my iPhone just like a lot of other people or whatever, it's great. But all of us know that it can become something that gets glued to my hand. And it's like an itch. And I've constantly got to scratch it. And I scratch it by clicking and checking, and I check again. And it comes in, and I check, and I respond, and I've got to do this right now. And once I get a free moment, any time that something happens, I go to it. You know, just think about it. Are you able to queue in a store and just stand in the queue without touching your phone? And just think about it. Remember how, like, back in the old days, like for us who were old people, you know, we remember you just, when you were in a queue, you just stood there. <laughs> you know, maybe you look at the things or whatever. You just kind of were kind of a little bit bored. And that can be helpful sometimes, to do it on purpose. This is a way of, of, of stepping out of, practicing stepping out of this little bubble that can, without our realizing it, can sometimes get developed around us. But let's go back to the centurion. Let's go back to our Lord. And this wonderful act of faith that this centurion makes. It's an act of faith that Jesus himself says he was amazed. And he says, never in Israel have I found faith like the faith of this man. So what was the centurion's faith? What, what did he do that you and I could learn from? And maybe a simple way of putting it is, is like this. His faith was to believe that Jesus had God's authority. 
to trust that Jesus had authority over all things. And the centurion does this in a very simple way. He says, well, just as I, as an officer in an army, have authority, so that when I tell people to do things, they do it. And why do they do it? Because I have authority. I'm above them. So Jesus has authority over all the world because he has God the Father's authority. And the centurion shows this very clearly when he refuses Jesus' offer to come to his house. This, this is really the moment where he reveals the nature of his faith. Because Jesus, when, when the centurion says, you know, my, my servant is paralyzed, he's suffering, he's in great pain, he's distressed. Very understandably, Jesus says, well, I will come to your house. And the reason Jesus says that is, is because he, I'll come and I'll touch him. In other words, I will visibly show you that I am going to confer divine power on him. But the centurion says, no, you don't need to do that. You don't need to show me. I don't need to see it. All I am going to do is trust that if you say it, it will be so. That's faith. That's the faith that you and I want to have right now, in this very moment, in our prayer. That Jesus is listening, that he's present, that he is inviting me to a life more beautiful, vast, than anything that I could imagine for myself. And because he's giving me his help, his encouragement, his grace, it's possible. It's possible that I could step forward bit by bit, coming closer to him. Because he says it, and he has authority. Authority over death. Authority over sin. Authority over all that exists. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And there will come a moment where he will return to this universe and space-time as we know it will be transformed. And Christ will be all things. Everything will be transformed in his image. That is certainly going to happen in our future. We don't know when, but it's going to happen. He's told us. And right now, it's our choice. It's up to you and to me to accept that in faith. That that's who Jesus is, that he has authority. But an authority not to make me do things that I don't want to do or, or to somehow mess my life up or, or do horrible things, but he has an authority which is mercy. It's love. And the final point I'd like to make before we end is talking about this authority and how it's connected to faith is that you and I are called by Jesus to let go of our desire, which is a natural desire that all of us have, to let go of our desire for reassurance and for proof. Yeah. You know, what I mean by that is this. How do I know that my prayer is working?
How do I know that right now I'm not just wasting my time? That I'm not just making it up? Will I know because of what I feel? Will I know because of the thought that's gone through my mind right now is I heard that question put to me? The answer is that I know it is not a waste of time because Jesus, who is eternal truth, has promised me that it's not. And he's promised me that in Scripture, which is a faithful transmission of what Jesus did and said when he was with us on this earth. That's faith. To believe because Jesus has told me, just as a centurion did. And even more, for us to believe, when we believe in, 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 more specifically in the power of prayer, to believe that something so small as a, a word, as a movement of my heart, can give rise to such a huge thing. This is what the centurion believes. He says to Jesus, you don't need to come, you don't need to touch him, you don't need to actually be where my servant is, only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Of course, those are words that are very familiar to us. Every time that we go to Mass, before we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, we repeat that act of faith of the centurion. Only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I don't need to see. I don't need proof. I believe. Only say the word. That's all you have to do, Lord. And just with that, that word, a massive transformation can happen. A huge healing can take place. I remember when I was a university student, there was a Cistercian priest who was giving a, a class. And he said something very simple at the time, but it just kind of really adjusted the way that I thought about things. He was talking precisely about the power of prayer, and he said, very old and wise, uh, wise, wise priest. He said, a small, simple prayer from a little eight-year-old girl is enough to convert the heart of the most hardened criminal on the face of the earth. It's enough for her to say a Hail Mary to convert the most wicked, evil, malicious person. And the reason for that is that because grace in itself is without limits. It's without limits. We don't know how far it can go or how much it can do. The possibilities are so vast. Lord, only say the word and I shall be healed. Only say the word and they shall be healed. Only say the word and all of us can be healed. We pray and we ask. We don't know where grace is going to start or where it's going to end. And there's something beautiful about that. About that confidence. About this just entrusting that we are in God's hands and he has the authority to sort everything. Let's ask our mother Mary that she pray for us, that she intercede for us so that we have the courage, the confidence, and the daring to truly believe that a word of prayer, a motion of our heart united to Christ, 
has a power greater than we can imagine. And that we also have the daring and the courage and the confidence to accept in faith the love and, and the vocation that God is calling each one of us to live and to embrace. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.